All right, we've gone live. Later on a Friday, Arvo, for a change, which means beer o'clock. Mm-mm. And what a week. Deserving of a beer it has been. Timok1977 is here. G'day. George, good morning. Good evening. It will be morning next time I do this. I get, Well, it'll be a different time of the world anyway. I'll get to that. We're going to talk about the things coming up in just a moment. Uh, let us do the formalities first before I get on to talking about a lot of data breaches this week, uh, as well as some travel and some other interesting things. I didn't even put the domain search stuff in there. That has been time consuming. Sponsor this week is Collide. <laughs> Again, Collide. Thank you very much, Collide. You've been a massive sponsor this year. Unpatched devices keeping you up at night. Collide can get your entire fleet updated in days. It's Device Trust for Okta. Go and watch the demo now. There is a link on the top of my blog. I put a link. Uh, where else would I put a link? I'll put a link in the tweet, which is going to go out very, very soon as well. I have to remember to do that each uh, each week. Device Trust for Okta. Watch the on-demand video, the challenges of implementing Zero Trust Access with Okta. Zero Trust is a big, big, big thing these days. Our Collide integrates with Okta to keep untrusted devices from accessing your company's apps. You do not want to be on my website. Um, go and get Collide to help you not be on my website. And how end user remediation removes the IT bottleneck that often derails Zero Trust initiatives. Uh, so massive thanks to uh, Collide for their very extensive ongoing sponsorship this year. Now, moving on, who else is here? Gilia is a good day. That's somewhere local. John, morning from England. Danny is a good day. With lots of local representation today, which is nice. We are at uh, just after four o'clock on a Friday afternoon on this end of the country. So it's, uh, for most of us, it's well and truly beer o'clock. Uh, I made the call to do this at this time of day about 10 minutes ago because I thought if I do that, then that clears up the rest of the night and the weekend and go out and do some stuff. Scott Helm is here. I got your message. <laughs> and I was like, I'm just going to ignore him and he won't know that I'm actually up and doing stuff. Kidding, kidding. We'll talk later. Uh, and we'll talk about coming over your way in a moment as well. I thought I'd talk first just doing things in a sort of a chronological way. Uh, I was in Sydney the last couple of days. We only got back a couple of hours ago doing Cloudflare Connect, which is Cloudflare's big event, which they do in different parts of the world. I believe they do it in Sydney each year. It's the first time I'd been this year. I think they had one. Yeah, I do recall, actually. Last year they had one on, and I couldn't do it for some reason or other. But I went there this year. I did a couple of different talks. One of them was yesterday. Uh, it was it was great. It was a really big audience of people. Speaking at Cloudflare is, uh, is really special because I am so dependent <laughs> on Cloudflare. There are so many Cloudflare bits on have I been pwned and pwned passwords, uh, and even my blog sits behind Cloudflare. About 20% of the internet's traffic goes through Cloudflare bits and pieces. 300 plus edge nodes around the world. I did do my research before I went and did the talk. So they're a really big part of the internet and certainly a really big part of what I do. So it's really nice to be able to go and talk at an event about things that I actually use and then tie it into all the other messaging around things like uh, I do a lot of talking about passwords and the ridiculousness of arbitrary password complexity criteria mandated rotation and the role of pwned passwords. And hey, look what we've done with Cloudflare. 5.41 billion requests in the last 30 days with 99.99 something percent, depending on the slice of time you take, served from Cloudflare cache, which was amazing. So I got to talk about k-anonymity and things like that. 
one of the things I, I spoke about, and I was I was talking to some Cloudflare folks about this the night before the event, and explaining what I did, and they went, "Oh, that's that's pretty cool." And I've tweeted about this. When you use the public API and you get an API key, you have a rate limit. Uh, let's say that the entry level rate limit is one request. Uh, or 10 requests rather per every minute, which I rationalize down to one request every six seconds. And if you make more than that, then you get a 429 back with a retry after header, which says you need to wait this long before trying again. Now in my naivety, a lot of my stories begin within my naivety. I thought something and I was wrong. I thought that people would get a 429 back and they'd go, oh, I should wait. And then I should wait for the retry after period to elapse. And then I'll come back and I'll make another request. But it turns out people just keep hammering and hammering and hammering. Like if they're going through a list of their employee email addresses or something like that, they just hammer away until another request gets through. So the 429 doesn't really provide any incentive to slow their rate. So what I started doing is at the Cloudflare Edge, again, 300 edge nodes around the world as opposed to just one origin, which is HOBP sitting in Azure's West US data center. Using, uh, using Cloudflare rate limiting rules on the edge, I started to say, well, if, if you make a request and you get more, and I don't disclose the exact, I did in the talk, <laughs> publicly I haven't disclosed the exact number. If you get too many 429s within too short a period from the origin, then Cloudflare is gonna start giving you a 429 for a longer period of time. And I, I used the term yesterday, digital naughty corner. It's like, if you can't play nice with the API the way it's meant to, digital naughty corner for a period of time. Uh, and incidentally, I rolled that into the revised terms and conditions recently too. because I And it, it's, it's a small time period of naughty corner, but it takes a load of traffic off the origin and it punishes people for not using the system in the way it's meant to be used. So... I spoke about that. What else to speak about? Uh, some of the takedowns recently spoke about some of the Genesis market takedowns, Bridge Forums takedown. <laughs> spoke a bit about Tom Pompurian, who we now know. This was the operator of the Bridge Forums uh, data breach website, which I saw data breach discussion forum where so much data gets circulated around. And I spoke a bit about the way the guy got caught, or one of the ways he got caught. He did multiple things that were very, very lax with his OPSEC. And one of them was literally talking to someone under his pseudonym of Pompompurian, talking to them about why his real life email address, Connor Fitzpatrick 02, <laughs> was not in a, the data breach had been given, but it was in Have I Been Pwned. So nice to see HIBP in an FBI affidavit uh, in, in the good way, which is, well, I guess it's the neutral way. It wasn't a bad way. And, and nice to see people being so lax with the OPSEC. And the really funny thing is, I'm going to find exactly what he said here because I found the part of the affidavit the other day. Uh, where did I put this? Cloudflare Connect. Here we go. <laughs> so there was a data breach called AI Type, which when I went back and had a look at it when I was preparing for this talk, it was an InfoSec company that sent me the data which they'd found exposed. So it's quite possible that they didn't actually give it to anyone else. It could be one of those really tightly circulated ones. Here we go. <laughs> this is Pompompurian having a discussion with Omnipotent about this data that he just obtained. In a reply, Pompompurian then mentioned ConnorFitzPatrick02 at gmail.com as an email he had searched in HIBP, they literally quoted it, but was not able to locate in the stolen AI type database. 
In this conversation with Omnipotent, Pompompurian claimed that he did not want to share his actual, actual email for obvious reasons, but described the conifitspatrick 2 at gmail.com as an email that seems to have the same case as his actual email address. So that was funny. Uh, and there was a period of time there where it was like, look, it's, it's funny, isn't it a shame? It's like another young guy taken the wrong turn so he's probably otherwise a good kid and now he's going to jail and then all the child exploitation stuff came out and we were like okay screw you man you're off to jail so uh yep screw that guy also showed the uh the fbi takedown screen where you know we see a lot of fbi takedown screens it becomes a splash page of websites that they have uh, appropriated and it has the little pom-pom logo and the FBI agent, somewhere, some FBI agent in the graphic design department had put these tiny, tiny, tiny little handcuffs on Pom Pom Purian, uh, which, which was marvellous. <laughs> I spoke to someone at the FBI on a more of a social basis recently, and I said, oh, well, whoever's doing that, well, I want to buy them a beer because they did that. They did the Genesis Market Takedown, which was Operation Cookie Monster, and they put the little cookies on the table next to the FBI agent that he'd been munching away on. Uh, wonderful, wonderful people doing a good job. Seriously. Hmm. Crooked says, thought you were going to say you imposed a sleep before a response. Well, ideally what you'd want the individual consuming the API to do is impose their own sleep. But they don't. <laughs> they just keep hitting it. Said, yeah. Danny, there's yet another breached forum now. They just keep coming up. Yeah, they do. And it's, you know what's fascinating about it? We've seen so many of them, right? It was... I'm trying to get the chronology right now. Raid forum and then breached and then breach forums. Uh, and they're just three straight off the top of my head. The successor to breach forums, the other breach forum, that also had a data breach. The original breach forums had a data breach too. And constantly, these things end up getting taken. They're on the clear web. For, yeah, they're going to be found. They get taken down. The people running them get arrested. All the data... All of the data, including the people that signed up and their IP addresses, including the one time they didn't use their VPN and then they got the real home IP logged and the email address and the password they think that no one else will know and then it gets matched to something. Like, it's, it's just the whole, it's a gift. <laughs> These things are gifts. They're literally honeypots for idiots. And what I mean by that is people going and doing illegal things there and leaving information which then gets traced back to them. So it's time and time and time again. I know there are other ones. Uh, there's another one that has become the logical successor to that. It will die. There will be another one after that. This is just the the cycle of data breach forum life. Hmm. Now, moving on. Upcoming travels. Scott Helm is here. I'm off to see Scott Helm. I think about this this time next week, mate. I'll almost be there. <laughs> so. That'll be uh, that'll be awesome. I'm heading off to Manchester. Charlotte and I are heading off to Manchester. Uh, we'll be there for a little bit. Scott and I are going to do this together. Uh, a week, probably a little, a week and a little bit from now. Maybe I have one night to get over the jet lag, and we we'll do it like Saturday morning or something. And I think we'll make it like the report URI special or something like that. Um, so that will, uh, yeah, that will be awesome, mate. So you, you've you've got the local clock, you understand. So you're a few hours over seven days from now. Super, super looking forward to that. I have never been to Scott's house. <laughs> He's been here a few times, so this will be new. Uh, yeah, and you, uh, this is going to sound really bad when I say it, but you know which toys I want to play with. We'll sort that out when we get there. So we'll do the Scott and Troy special from uh, Scott's home near Manchester 
probably eight days from now, I think, mate, might be the sweet spot for that. It's not, don't laugh, it wasn't, that's not the way I meant it. <laughs> um, we'll go and do that. So Charlotte and I are doing a little bit of a, a European road trip. We're going to be there for a while. We're going to be in Oxford for a couple of days. Uh, most of the travel we're doing is a combination of, of fun and, and business. So we, uh, we have some things to do while we're in Oxford. We're going to get down to working for a little bit. going to go to the McLaren factory because I feel that we have a greater right to now. I have a McLaren story I'm going to tell after I go to that event from many years ago that pissed me off no end, and I'm very, very much looking forward to going back there now. We're going to Alicante in Spain for a bit for a family wedding, so we're going to be down there for a while. We're going to the Netherlands. We're going to be in Amsterdam for a couple of days. We're going to be doing some worky things further south in the Netherlands. We're going to be in Leiden for a couple of days. We're going to Oslo. We're going to be there for a while because Norway. <laughs> going and going to WDS, Scott. That's going to be WDS and Crowbar because you've got to do those things. And then we'll be going to Prague, my first ever visit to Prague. Charlotte's been there before. She says it's epic. Uh, we're going there for exports live, so I will be doing a talk there. I really should figure out. No one there would have been at Cloudflare the other day, would they? <laughs> Maybe I'll get some reuse. We're going to go and do that. Uh, and I'm definitely planning on catching up with Joseph Prusa as well to go and have a look at some Prusa stuff too. So I'm very, very excited about that. Uh, I do love my Prusa machine. <laughs> you want to fly over. So for those of you listening going, what is this WDS? Uh, WDS is, is an acronym for Way Down South. And it is an American barbecue restaurant in Oslo uh, and Scott I'd say we've been going there pretty solidly for probably about six years we've had a bit of a break in the middle because travel uh, but it is like it is it is amazing now he and I both traveled rather extensively including in places like Texas and had much barbecue but nothing I have seen rivals WDS maybe war pigs in Copenhagen you know that that oddly enough yeah very very close by uh, and of course crowbar being the place that we'd always end up at NDC events. It's just a, a, a lovely craft beer bar uh, and it's walking distance to WDS, which makes it easy. So it's nice. We get back to do these routine things. I do have a lot of Europe travel coming up. So we have this trip coming up now. We're going to be back in Europe again at the end of the year for New Year's Eve and for most of January. And we'll be back again, almost certainly in June next year for uh, NDC and for other things as well. A bit further out, haven't worked out all the details yet. <laughs> Scott's at War Pigs next week. Aren't I at your place next week? Or this? Oh yeah, because Europe's small, so you going to Denmark is like me going to like Melbourne or something. Okay. Data breaches. I've had a very very big week of data breaches, partly because so much stuff backed up while I was focused on trying to get the domain search subscription stuff working, uh, and also partly because I just got sent a lot of stuff just in this last week. And it has consumed a lot of time. So, Steve is in Beaujolais. Ooh, very nice. I will be in France in December. Scott and I will be in France in December <laughs> and, and January. And that bit of time which transitions from December to January. So, yeah, we're doing, can I say that? We're doing New Year's in, uh, in France with the families in Paris. So, data breaches. Uh, where, are we, where do we even start there? So, Let's start with escorts, because why not? It's a Friday afternoon. Now, I had never heard of this site before, and it is now in my browser history forever. ECCIE. I never figured out what ECCIE is an acronym for. 
And as best I can tell, this is a forum to talk about escorts. Now, I have flagged this one as sensitive. So it's in Have I Been Pwned Sensitive. You cannot search for it from the front page of Have I Been Pwned. You have to use the notification service, which verifies you control the email address, or you have to do a domain search, which verifies you control the domain. I will just read the top-level navigation, and you can make up your own mind what it is. New York ladies, Albany shemales, hot search. Uh, yeah, <laughs> as best I can figure, it's it's like a a forum for discussing and recommending escort services. Uh, and if you're saying, well, it's nice to be escorted by someone when you go out to dinner, I don't think it's like that. It's it's a special special kind of escort. They they seem to have. I don't know if they've so far acknowledged the breach, but there was discussion on here. Now, this was, mind you, from more than two years ago, 2021. Uh, I've linked through to a, a forum post on that website. It is a safe for work forum post if you ignore the tiny, tiny thumbnails <laughs> down the page here where someone says, just got a notification from LifeLock that there was a data breach of eccii.net back in March 2021, just a heads up. So on their forum there, there is discussion about a breach. That to me is sufficient disclosure to load it. So there's that one. What else? Uh, that was the adult one. At Meltemol, the Japanese friend search site. Oh, what was the hit rate actually on the on the escort one? 61%. 61% of people in the forum talking about escorts uh, were already in have I been pwned. The Japanese one, at Meltemo, 580,000 email addresses breached in 2021. That also excluded, or included rather, usernames, IP addresses, and unsalted MD5 password hashes, only 14% already in Have I Been Pwned. And we, we see this very regularly with services that are outside the mainstream Western websites. Um, the sites that, based on the comments that people made here, Folks here, mostly in the UK and Australia at this sort of the time zone, if I did it in the morning, they'd be in the US as well. It is us <laughs> that feature in most of these breaches. If you're from a different part of the world, particularly if there's a different language spoken, you are a lot less pwned, certainly in the ones that circulate through the common breach forums. Uh, incidentally, just going back to the escorts again, IP addresses, usernames, dates of birth, because you really want to leave that before you talk about prostitutes, and salted MD5 password hashes. So good on them for salted MD5. So it's, it's fascinating, isn't it, for something where one would expect a greater degree of privacy on a website like that. But dates of birth, email addresses, IP addresses, like think about the dots that can be joined with that. And that's, that's, that's really quite concerning. Duolingo. Now, this brings up a couple of interesting discussion points. One is that I'm a Duolingo user. I've been learning Norwegian for, for nearly a, a year now. Actually, I would have been learning it for, for pretty much a year, uh, and I've just missed some days. So I've got a, like a 270-day streak or something like that. Now, Duolingo was interesting because it scraped data, and it brings up this discussion again about is a scraper breach. Now, I have written a blog post in the past. I'll link to it in the notes when I publish this tomorrow. I've written this blog post about when is a scrape a breach. 
And people very often say, well, look, if you're just pulling down data that is publicly accessible, that is not a breach. Now, I don't agree with that. And there's a couple of reasons I don't agree with it. So first of all, really the, this definition around breach is more focused on data being obtained and used in ways in which it's not intended to be than what it is, did you break through the system or did they have a weak password or did they inadvertently publish their database? I always use the measure of if you were to ask the individuals, would they say, no, yeah, this is fine? Or would they say, no, I, I feel personally violated? And usually when we talk about breaches that are scrapes, it, it is the latter. People saying, no, I'm not happy with my data being used this way. So for Duolingo, we've got real names, email addresses, usernames, and learning progress. Now to me, the more important bit here is the fact that email addresses are mapped to identities. And I'm speculating here, I haven't gone and read all the detail. Duolingo did disclose this and say not a breach, just scrape, and, and apparently hasn't fixed it as well as best I know because they think it's fine. Bit that concerns me is imagine you've got an endpoint somewhere that you throw an email address at and then it comes back and returns personal identifiable information. If you've got an email address and you chuck it there and it comes back with a name and a username, so now you can map these things together, that to me is, is definitely a violation of someone's privacy. I understand why services want to be able to do these things because they want to be able to do things like invite your friends by email address, but there are ways of doing this that don't create enumeration vectors, which is really what this is. Now, what was fascinating about this is that the hit rate with breaches already in Have I Been Pwned was 100%. Good on them for that. George is saying, I've never trusted that owl. <laughs> Not surprised. So Duolingo's got a green owl. What the, who has a green owl? That's 100% because whatever email addresses were used to throw against the vulnerable API to return the personal data were already in Have I Been Pwned, which means logically whoever did this got access to the same breaches that I have access to. So of course I was curious, as soon as I saw that hit rate come back to 100%, and incidentally that rounded, it was like 99.999 something, and then there were just a few email addresses that I probably had a different parsing mechanism for uh, when I loaded the bridge, breaches, uh, I'm starting to lose my mind, different parsing pattern for when I loaded the breaches that the other person then used to hammer Duolingo. Anyway, you get what I mean. Slight little variances, you know, maybe whoever got this data was happy with email addresses having an invalid format and I wasn't or vice versa. Who knows? I was then curious, where did they actually come from? Because if we've got all these data breaches in there, or rather we've got all these email addresses in there from, from other breaches and those breaches already have been pwned, which ones were they? Like, am I going to, if I go through and start randomly checking email addresses, will they all be from uh, Adobe? for example, or will they all be from Dropbox? And what I found is that there definitely wasn't any one exclusive data breach, but I did find Adobe over and over again. That's a classic. It's going to be 10 years in the next couple of months. I think it was October 2020, 2013, because it was just after that I started having been pwned. 
So Adobe featured massively in collection number one, the credential stuffing list loaded in 2019. Uh, that featured very heavily as well. Incidentally, it was 2.6 million records, and apparently Duolingo has got somewhere like 75 million people. So you, you kind of wonder if that's not well short of potential. And when I, I realize, as I say, I'm not encouraging you to go out and see if you can get closer to the full 75 million. But it's just interesting that they only got through a tiny, really a tiny amount of the subscriber base. Let's call it, I don't know, 4% or something like that. All right. What's in the comments here? <laughs> Roland says, much better than a bluebird. Oh, yeah. Remember that social platform that used to have the bluebird? Whatever happened to that? Hmm. Mm. I've just realized I'm almost up to my monthly cadence of tweeting about how Twitter still works and watching how angry people get. I look forward to that every month. It's always an exciting time of the month. Roland then says, seems almost like those recommended services, you're in Breach X, a lot of people in Breach X also appear in Breach Y. Go check it. Um, there is a lot of crossover. Timop1977, Troy, why are you charging such a cheap amount for API access? Even doubling your charges is still really affordable. Oh, that's interesting because sometimes people ask me exactly the opposite. And as I started reading this and I saw, Troy, why are you charging such a, and then it wrapped, and I was like, oh, shit, not another one. But <laughs> actually, in fairness, it, it's, it's very rare. I, I think I could count on one hand the number of people that have said it's an unreasonable charge. Um, the, the simple answer, well, actually, there's probably multiple answers to your, uh, to your question. Number one, I have historically not been very good at charging for things. <laughs> Which, which maybe is why have I been paying became popular to begin with. Um, my my speaking in workshops, for example, historically not very good. Charlotte came along and fixed that. Very very good. <laughs> so now we're fine with that. Also, it it was positioned originally. If, if like there's a heritage for everything, right? In August 2019, when I first put a price on the API. It was meant to stop abuse, and I wanted to put the, the lowest sort of, I, I guess, sensible price on it I could because the goal was simply to stop abuse. The goal wasn't to make money out of it. And so I went, okay, uh, cost of a cup of coffee, and that's where the $3.50 came from, and that stuck for ages, and it was only November last year that we started having different plans, so different rate limits and doing annual and that sort of thing because we had demand. Uh, and of course, it does generate revenue as well. And that does allow us to devote more time and resources to building the thing and to do more things. And that pricing is then what has stuck through into the domain searches. And we are increasing the prices in October by about, I think we said it was between 13 and 15% because it actually cost a lot more for a cup of coffee now than when we first did this. So there you go. So Timok1977 then said, it seems like a, a profit motivation doesn't seem to be a driving factor. It's really unusual. Well, you've got to remember, I never expected this thing to last, right? I wouldn't have given it such a stupid name if I expected it to last. I built this in, well, I guess, November 2013, launched it in December 2013, and it was a curiosity that just happened to get popular. And it came after a a long list of failures on my, I built a lot of stuff that just went absolutely nowhere. And this one got popular. And fascinatingly enough, I, th I'm confident 
that a large amount of its popularity has been because it wasn't something that I went out and just tried to monetize straight off the bat. Um, and I'm still adamant I don't ever want to see any monetization around things like the public search feature because I think it's just such a, a valuable, valuable thing to go and plug your email address in. Um, but that has obviously brought me many other things and opportunities in life that have been very good monetary-wise. You watch my Twitter, like you understand. So, you know, it's, it's, it's accidentally worked out really well, but we get to keep all of the goodwill and the kudos and the availability to everyone. And then it's given us a great life as well. So oh, there must be a really good talk in this. Must be a real, I, I think I know where I want to do this. I'm going to do a talk about this. Scott says, inflation has really hurt the price of a coffee. Well, you know, when you think about it, so I'm taking it from, and I can't even remember what I used to pay. You've been down to this coffee shop, you know the one. But I did have it pegged at $3.50 US, and now it's going to, what is it, $3.95 US. So it's only just over 10% in like four years. So that's probably not even CPI. I'd say we've done under CPI, given we've had a period of high inflation as well. Next four years might be different. We'll see. Okay, that was Duolingo <laughs> and a finance lesson. Next one, Seven Rooms. Now, Seven Rooms was interesting. First of all, I'd never heard of Seven Rooms before, and let's actually pop them up here on the, uh, on the browser, and we'll read what Seven Rooms does. Your hospitality powered by data. <laughs> there was a lot of data, too. There was about 440 gigabytes worth of data. It was a massive corpus. Seven Rooms guest experience and retention platform helps hospitality operators create exceptional experience that boosts profitability and report. That's, yeah, that's very exciting. Uh, so they had uh, a breach which they had disclosed earlier this year. Uh, and in fact, I've linked to the bleeping computer article on this. What do they say about that? Restaurant platform CRM, seven rooms, confirms breach after data for sale. Actually, this was December, December last year. So their data was put up for sale. It had 86,000 CSV files in there, which was absolutely massive uh, as far as volume goes. Uh, 427 gigabytes, according to Bleeping Computer over here. Um, just a, a huge amount of information, which, as best I can tell, they sort of are an underlying platform for other services. And then, of course, people using those other services, they go along to a restaurant, do their booking or whatever, their data then flows through into seven rooms. So the data exposed there was uh, names, purchases, email addresses, 71% uh, of them already in have been pwned. So congratulations to the 1.2 million people in that data breach as well. Timok says, I want to learn how to make apps for fun. There seems to be a gap in the market for apps that don't steal data. <laughs> Maybe it's because they don't make money and people need to make money out of it. Okay. Who knows? What's the easiest pathway to do this for someone who doesn't know programming? What language should I learn? Is doing the Odin project overkill? Now, I don't know what the Odin project is, so I can't comment on that. Um, I think everyone has an opinion on this. I think that if I was teaching someone to learn to code today, and I was, I'm thinking very much about my son, Ari is 13, Python seems to be a really good way to get started. 
very cheap, very easy. You can build serious things out of it. It backs a lot of stuff. It seems to be a good sort of ubiquitous programming language. You'll learn so much from that, which translates through to other languages anyway. I'm giving Ari coding exercises that are concepts that I want him to learn. So it'll be things like uh, figure out, one of the ones I gave him recently, figure out what day of the week your birthday will fall on for the next 100 years. So to do that, he's going to need to learn how to use a for loop. He's going to need to learn whatever Python's native construct is to figure out a day of a week given a date. And I have since learned that Python doesn't know what a Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday or anything is. It just knows uh, an index. So he then had to learn how to create an array and then reference the array by index. So that's cool. He learned some stuff from that. And then I'm going to get him to start doing things like requesting the Have I Been Pwned API and learning about HTTP requests and responses. I would start there. And of course, anything HTML related, it has stood the test of time. I've been doing HTML for, uh, it will be almost 29 years now, dating myself. And it's it's still the same fundamentals. And it is so, so transferable. People argue it's a markup language and not a coding language. Uh, and they have too much time on their hands. So definitely learning HTML, obviously JavaScript, CSS, all of the HTML or web page related things. Roland says, asking about time zones next to really make sure he knows the pain. I was trying to explain this recently because we, we don't have daylight saving in this state because it confuses the cows. <laughs> but the states south of us do. And of course, you're rolling the clock forward or back. And I was asking the kids, I was like, so at what time, I, I can't remember if it's like 3 a.m. or something, we roll over. I was like, at what time will it be at 3.30 in the morning? And they're like, well, it'll be 3.30. Well, yeah, but when you get to 3 o'clock, it goes to 4 o'clock. So what time is it? Ah. And then you get to the other end of the cycle, and it's like, okay, what time will 3.30 be at? It'll be 3.30. Well, yeah, but you'll have 3.30, and then you get to 4, and the clock will roll back, and then you'll have another 3.30. <laughs> so you have 2. I remember years and years ago, John Skeet, doing a library around time management. It was no to time, wasn't it? He did a library around time management. And I, I remember a lot of people going, why do you need like a library for, you know, figuring out times and things? And he was talking about the absolute obscurities of times. It's not just the time zone issues as they stand today, but time zones have changed over time. And maybe that doesn't matter for most of you. It wouldn't matter for Have I Been Pwned, for example, but Maybe it matters if you're trying to figure out what time a certain event happened and at, at a local time in a certain time in the past. It, it's it's a fascinating, geeky, weird thing. Brennan says, "Just run on UTC and you'll be solid." Except, except you, yeah, kind of, kind of, because you can still have two three thirties. Except it will be which three? Th oh no, you're doing my head in now. I know the beer. <laughs> It's late on a Friday. Mm. So with that, I'm going to start to wrap that up. That's um, that's a shorter one this week. It it has been an enormously intense week, not just because of all the, the Cloudflare travel and things. And, and as, as much fun as I have at these things, they do take a lot of preparation, a lot of coordination. Um, Charlotte organizes a lot of this, everything from travel logistics to when you got to be at a certain place to you know how you particularly some of these bigger events, how you need to engage with, with audiences and what are the key messages and notes and things. It's been great fun, but it has been a, an immensely taxing week. 
at the moment as well, we're getting up each day, having rolled out all these new subscription things for the domains and put a bunch of breaches in. We're getting up each day and both sitting there doing about two to three hours worth of tickets and questions, which I hope will start to taper off after a little while. But there's been a lot of uh, a lot of people getting their notifications from breaches and then saying, oh, it looks like I need a subscription. How does that work? So, it's kind of all on the website you just submitted the ticket from, but okay, go here and do this and so on. So it's, look, I mean, they're, they're good problems to have, but they're very time-consuming problems as well. Scott says, oh, geez, no, Scott's getting into weird. There's this thing where in the UK, and I know some of you are in the UK, people will say half three as a time. Now, I think the Aussies on here would agree that that's something that we very rarely do here, just as, as, a, as, a, as a pattern. You know, we, we would say 3.30. My only connection with saying half three is when I was living in the Netherlands as a kid, and when you say half three in Dutch, you mean half until three, which would be 2.30. And when Scott says half three, he means half past three, which would be 3.30. And in Norway, it's the same as in the Netherlands. It must be a European thing. You remember when you were European, don't you, Scott? <laughs> so we have this thing. It's like, is it half three or half past three? We could just use the full, the full time and no one would be confused. Ilya Frankl says in the UK, 18.30. In Germany, 17.30. There you go. Yeah, there's something about mainland Europe. <laughs> That's the real reason for Brexit, Roland says. Rob thinks it's half past the hour. It's implicit, isn't it? It's implicit and it relies on the person both relaying the message and the person receiving the message to both have the same implicit understanding, which probably works when you're all British or something like that, but it doesn't so much work when one of you is German. <laughs> so there we go. All righty, I'm going to wrap it up here. We'll come back, Will being Scott and I, come back to you in uh, probably a little over a week from the other side of the world. Thanks for listening. Catch you then.